Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. With Jenny Winter. Today I am chatting with the goddess of comedy, Holy moly, really crazy. Fiona O'Loughlin. Now, this is absolutely insane because when I was, I think, 23 years old, I had my darling little Ella, my first baby, uh, in my arms. She was literally eight months old or so. And that was the very first time that I ever watched a stand-up comedy special. Well, it's not even really a special. The comedy, the comedy gala from Melbourne International Comedy Festival was on the television and I watched it and saw this incredible woman who had five kids, was from Alice Springs and was absolutely hilarious. And I honestly think that was the first seed that was planted in me that was like, wow, you can do this as a career? And she's a mum. She's got kids and she's doing performing as a career. I honestly can credit the fact that I'm even here talking to you right now. You know, you, microphone. It's all about you and me right now. <laughs> I just amuse myself sometimes, ah, which is lucky. I think it makes it easy to get through life, don't you reckon? If you can laugh at yourself. Anyway, um, little did I know that a couple of short years after that, I would not only have the chance to meet this incredible woman, but that I would actually be supporting her in a show. Oh, oh my goodness. I got to be her support act at the Bangalore Big Joke Festival, and I was so scared to meet her because, you know, what if she was a complete twat? Well, <laughs> she was not. In fact, she was absolutely delightful. Um, and, you know, sometimes in comedy it can be pretty, like, people can be sort of in their own heads so much that nobody actually really even pays that much attention to what the other people are doing. Or sometimes when they do, it can be in a critical way. I don't mean to throw my whole industry under the bus, but it can just be a little bit like, man, man, people get a bit insecure. But Fiona came up to me after my set in the interval and said, and introduced herself and then said to me, wow, don't you just want to patch yourself after that gig? And oh, I'm not saying that to say to you, well, my God, I should have shoved my own tongue down my throat. I'm saying that's how generous and lovely she was to a newbie, you know, hadn't been doing it that long. And she was so sweet and encouraging and gorgeous and lovely. Anyway, we have had the great fortune of meeting. Well, I say we've had the great fortune. I don't know that she feels that fortunate about it. I do. Uh, of having been able to spend some time together over the years in little, you know, tiny little drips as you do when you bump into each other occasionally in festivals here and there she's so lovely and to see how much uh shit she has gone through oh my child falling out of the bed is there a scream no good it's all good resilience that's what i'm teaching resilience and independence 
But uh, seeing how much she has gone through in, well, her whole life, really, really blew me away. And I knew that she was going through some stuff, but it was only when I was reading her book recently, which if you haven't read it, you really must, where she really does not hold back and lets it all hang out, that I really went, wow, maddest respect. Whew. Anyway, this conversation gets really deep really fast and that's because I think we do know each other but just so you've been warned I'm not you're not going into a little waiting pool here and eventually we'll end up in this lovely big diving no no we are diving in guys so line up next to the balcony I'm about to push you overboard make sure you're wearing a flotation device remove any valuables okay I'm just kidding. It's actually really lovely, but it is quite full-on quite quickly. Uh, I hope that you get as much out of this as I did. It's really amazing chat with the incredible Fiona O'Loughlin. How are you? I'm good, darling. Yeah. I'm, yeah, living the roller coaster as well. I read your whole book and just was so blown away because it really resonated with me. Really? On uh, many, many levels. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I... Uh, look, the, I had no idea that you'd been in hospital, like as in you'd been in a um, yeah mental ward because I have also and I'm not, that's not something I sort of tell many people at all. So it just really blew my mind and just how, yeah, how much of it you let hang out and stuff was just incredibly, um, it was actually, it really inspired me um, even just in terms of my own work and comedy and writing to let it all hang out because the, feeling that that gave me really? reading about your experiences was so valid it was so validating that I was just like shit like this is why we need to be more honest yeah. with each other you know in the world because it just because makes it normalizes and you go oh my god like I'm not that fucked up like it's okay like everyone's fucked up and yeah but it was so um easy to write in a way because of the purpose of getting that message out Jenny, I reckon that the stigma and the shame around mental illness and, you know, and substance use disorder is lethal. You know, it's like we're actually slowly putting light, you know, it's like we're we're murdering each other, but by a thousand paper cuts, you know, a million paper cuts, it's this, it's life and death. It's uh, yeah, absolutely, and and I think that's the thing when people say when when somebody you know has taken their own life and stuff, and people say things like, "Oh, if only I'd known," if only I'd exactly, I exactly. It's, it's not necessarily about it gets to that point. It's too late, but I think it's about if we could just be brave enough to stop the self stigma as well, and. Yeah, that's where it begins, isn't it, by being honest with your own stuff. And then if if we're prepared to do that, you know, I think where the problem is is amongst our own families and our own communities. It's right. Mm. It's that close. And I know it, it sounds it's a big thing to say, but, you know, I think our families and our communities are putting us at risk of our lives without knowing it because... If we're prepared, all all we want to do is be understood. And if your own loved ones or your own community literally, it's not, I don't think they mean it, but it's a collective thing that humans do is we turn away from pain. 
you know, we watch movies and see indignity and yeah. see injustice, and we, but we, we can't seem to see it right under our noses. I'm so tired of being the, the, the sick one, the fucked up one, and I don't know how many. I've only just discovered really since uh, getting well, truly well, that it still exists, the shame and stigma. I can see it. Because I, I, I'm not, I'm, I haven't got my head in the sand or in my own. I was blinded by my own self-loathing and self-hatred and guilt and shame. So I wasn't paying attention to anybody else's behaviours, but just busy whipping myself. And of course, I, you know, no doubt I did damage. And you know, alcoholics were annoying. <laughs> It's a really stupid thing, <laughs> really frustrating things because we're drunk and drunkenness is a symptom of this disease. And, you know, I, I, I actually can see it now. Even after the book's been released, the love that I've been given and the support from the general public has been overwhelming and yet, it's frightened people that have surprised me enough to turn away from me that I never thought was possible. Wow. So when you say that, do you mean people that you know in real life? Absolutely. Oh, gosh. I'd say it shocked me. It shocked me and I, and I've, I haven't spoken about it to anyone um, publicly because there's so many things to talk about. <laughs> Sure. Well, I'm so curious, though, because I find it really fascinating when people are in times of trauma or serious turmoil, that seems to be a common thing, is that sometimes the people who they would never have expected turn away from it. Do you think that's because it triggers something in them or? Maybe. And I'm talking 80% of what I had has gone, if not more. Wow. Since the book was released. Wow. And the only reason I speak about it, I'm big enough and ugly enough and I can you know, I've got more than enough choice of friends, you know, particularly in, in my carnival family, which you, I include you in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, Jenny Winter, you were very, very good to me, and I'll never forget your kindness. And Oh, my sweetie. Well, I remember we went, oh, God, I was off chops on something with an aunt and uncle, and we went to see a concert. Where, was it one of my kids' performance? or? Um. I'm not sure. I remember being with you uh, on a few occasions and I remember not being well at the time and maybe you sensed it, but I never felt anything. I never felt shamed by you and I never felt, and I've never forgotten that, you know, the old saying, people don't remember what you say, they only remember how you made them feel. And that's what I remember of you. Oh, well, that's wonderful. I'm very happy to hear that. Oh, you're welcome. The only reason I did decide to speak about it because I thought, because, you know, the last thing I want to do is poor bugger me. Oh, never, nobody wants to be my friend. <laughs> that's not what I'm, that's not why I'm saying this. I'm, I mm-hmm. see now where the problem is because it's it's right in front of me. People, you know, they're very close to my family who will impose on my family uh, negativity about me, which must be very awkward for members of my family. But, see, the idiots don't realise that I've got eyes and ears everywhere. (laughs) So there's this one long-time person I've known (laughs) who would, you know, 
smile and greet me so warmly, but in the background she's telling, you know, I know for a fact that she says, well, all I know is her mother wants her to shut the hell up and wishes she'd shut them. It's all these shut her up business. And, you know, I'm calling it because if this is happening to me, God, God, what's happening to people with nothing going for them but their sobriety? I'm so, I'm so um, inspired, though, to hear you say that because I think that's the reason, like everything you're describing is what keeps people in fear and in shame and in the dark because you're worried about those kind of reactions that people are going to be exactly. so negative and really nasty about it, really. Exactly. really. Um, but I love that, like, I'm so, I mean, I can say this honestly, personally, as one single person who's read your book, that... I am so fucking glad that you didn't listen to that bullshit and actually just went, you're going to speak your truth anyway. Well, I didn't and, hear it. And I'm sorry that that's the price of it is you've got to deal with all that shit. But I didn't hear it, Jenny, until... I'm um, just so glad that you did it. Thank you, because I didn't hear this stuff until after the book came out. That's when I knew. And do you regret anything? Nothing. Because nobody... Nobody has had the courage to front me on what their problems are with what I've written. Uh, so it's innuendo and gossip, and I, I'm getting it from. Yeah. And as I said, I it when I say it doesn't bother me. Of course, we're all human, but it frightens me that that someone like you know I, I'm being given bouquets of of uh, compliments for the book from the likes of yourself and people in the media who do know me and who don't know me, who have been nothing but, you know, really. So I've, I've obviously I'm not on the wrong track because, I'm not, you know, you can see, I can see how many people have been affected in the way, in the very way I hoped they would be when I wrote the book. Now I'm ready to write a third book because <laughs> I'm absolutely gobsmacked um, <laughs> at at the uh, yeah what is it uh, the discrimination? There was a guy and I did not know what he meant. Um, he worked yeah. in the Obama administration, and I've forgotten his name and the position he held. But he was an African um, American gay man in his forties. And he had to come out about his alcohol use disorder. I'm trying not to say alcoholism anymore, Jenny. It's my new thing. Anyway, he had to come out to uh, qualify for the job, I guess, Um, and he said he'd never, ever known discrimination like it. And he'd lived on, you know, he'd lived 50 years on the planet as a, a black gay man. And I, I didn't quite get that until after wow. I released this book and now I'm like, wow, I, you're not kidding. So, you know, this isn't screaming at the government. It's not screaming at all. It's We're doing it to ourselves. And I'm not saying the people I know are particularly nasty people either. They're, they're beautiful people but they're lacking courage. Yeah, it's really interesting. And with the alcoholism, um, sorry, and I- what is is the right language now? Alcohol. You've got to. Ha- you please teach me, Professor. What is the terminology that's? Well, there's a new terminology the which I love. It's called. It's actually um, substance use disorder. 
Um, Substance use disorder. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a mental health issue. You know, it's a mental illness. And I think it's so misunderstood and I think, but it's crazy how in Australia in particular, I think, I mean, the culture of drinking and over drinking and, you know, everything, everything's wine and all the memes on, you know, social media. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so pervasive. How, like, how do you navigate that minefield? I guess what I'm saying too is I guess that's a big part of why it's so misunderstood when people have substance use disorder because it's encouraged in our culture. Yes, and it needs to be understood. Uh, you know, the society almost needs us to be misunderstood so that they can continue on abusing alcohol with impunity. And it's, I think, the, the most, the loudest voices against alcoholics speaking up are people who aren't that far behind us. You never hear someone who do, I've, people who don't drink have more compassion than than people who want to, you know, for the, mm. since the dawn of time, one in ten of us who use alcohol, it will be ruinous too. Um, why, why in heaven's name are we still this one in ten who through no fault of our own have the inverse allergy um whatever it is that makes up you know what an alcoholic is and I'm past caring whether it's genetic or I know that I had I was insane because I know how much I love my children and to to abandon them I can only do that if I'm insane and when I say abandon them you know I mean, to deliberately drink, my alcohol use was above their needs. Well, I don't accept that I was sane and that that was my choice. Just a quick little interruption to let you know that if you're not on the Facebook Funny Mummies group, you must be. It is so hilarious. We've been talking about stupid things that our kids say. I say stupid. I mean endearingly adorable. Uh, It's a few examples. From Claire. My son used to tell everyone, everyone, what genitalia they had. My mum walked in one day and he said, you've got a really old gina, haven't you, Gammax? I love it. What else have we got? Oh, my goodness me. Here we go. This one's from Jamie Lee. My daughter watched me give birth, so anytime someone commented on the baby, she would say, I watch him come come out my mum's vagina and I cut his billy cord. <laughs> I honestly think we should all make a pact to just use the word billy cord from now on. It is fabulous. year old in a busy public toilet says, Mummy, why are you putting a nappy on your penis? <laughs> I ask myself that every 28 days. So come and join us on the Funny Mummies group if you haven't already. It's a bucket of fun. Funnymummies.com. Back to the show. I've asked them to kind of take their time. I'm not sure how many of my kids have read the book. Um, And I like Uh like that they're – that that's their business, you know, because if uh, I mean they love me and I love them, um, but it's alcohol 
it, alcoholism, I can't even, I can't keep it up, Jenny. <laughs> I have to go back to saying alcoholism. Yes. <laughs> alcoholism, <laughs> it is a family disease. They are every bit as wounded as I am, but they're different shaped wounds. They're different, you know, you need different stitches to sew them up. You need, but it, it affects us all and it's, and it's ours. And I don't need other people giving their opinions, you know, of my, my children, uh, you know. I know who my children are and they know who I am. Yeah. I, I just uh, I day, Jenny. <laughs> as well, like talking. Oh, darling. <laughs> I loved in your book and something I've always admired about you so much is pursuing your passion while you were raising kids, you know, because you were right in the thick of it. I think your littlest was still, like, you know, a kid Mary when Agnes. you started doing um, comedy. Yeah, Mary Agnes was four when I threw my hat in the national ring, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's phenomenal. And I, I, I just, that definitely inspired me to move into comedy. There's no doubt about it. Um, I just, I, there was one paragraph that I just loved in your book um, that really rung true to me as well. And I think because you're digging into the kind of some of the uncomfortable feelings of guilt of leaving the kids and to pursue your own thing. Um, do you mind if I just read this paragraph out? I just I'd love it. it. I'm always. Um, you said, um, I tr- I, you said I tried to convince I tried to convince myself that my career did my children more good than harm, that I was setting a fantastic example for them, following my dreams, taking risks and making a living. What sort of mother would I be if I ignored my hankerings? A miserable one. Every time I left for a tour or a festival, I'd tell myself I wasn't leaving them forever. It was only a month and they were all safe. I I just loved that just I could have written that like really probably not as eloquently as you but like I could have written exactly those exactly exactly it was this constant trying to convince myself this is right this is right you know and I still believe that I still believe you know you need to be pursuing your passions but as my kids have gotten older I've also I think for me looked back and grieved a little bit the fact that I was away a lot and mm. um and did that do damage to them and I don't know like and and the guilt of going shit like did I fuck that up like should I have been do you know what I mean I'm just so I absolutely you know what you mean like now that your kids are a lot older and I've got an image that I can't mm. get out of my head of Mary Agnes's shoulders I don't know why it's her shoulders there was one I was home between you know, tours. And at that stage, I think I was, until Mary was probably 10, she's the youngest, I'd say I was away a third of the year. And then it ramped up to two thirds of the year by the time she was, I guess, 12 or 13. Um, But I remember her little shoulders in the bath. And I just remember turning around, I was in the bathroom and she just a cute little thing in the bathroom, she was facing away from me and I just, don't know why, I looked at those shoulders and I thought, God, she's, you're missing, you know, don't miss a minute of this. And yeah, I just stood there and stared at these gorgeous <laughs> five-year-old shoulders. What a bizarre memory. Aww. But it is, there's a real melancholy when you realise that 
I, I don't know. I think when you're a driven person, you kind of want to make the most of your opportunity while you've got it. And certainly in showbiz, you know, as you would know, I think as a woman too, you feel that time pressure. But, um, you know, then looking back, I feel like it just all went so fast. <laughs> but isn't it interesting, Jenny, so many people used to say to me the first question was, so your husband lets you do it? Or mm-hmm. or how? Um, who looks after your kids? And I... I used to think how many people yep. are how many people are asking you know Dave Hughes who's looking after his kids or anybody any male yeah. comment strange question no I just left them outside yeah, no, I tied exactly. I tied them up to the clothesline there's plenty of food you know what, where do you think <laughs> I left my kids idiots. <laughs> Oh, dear. It's funny too. Um, again, I won't go too deep into it, but the stuff that you wrote about um, your marriage and everything really also really hit home to me. And it's interesting because I feel like, again, I, I never want to throw my ex-husband under the bus at all. You know, he's not here to defend himself. But um, it's interesting that I think I really bought into the idea of, oh, your husband's letting you do this? Like mm. that's so, what a great guy like to let you mm. do it. And now I think with more hindsight, I'm like actually support is more than mm. you have permission to do something, you know, mm. that that's it's such a um, patriarchal way of looking at um, looking at a life, you know. It just I, now I think, gosh, that wasn't actually like, yes, he let me do that, but that's a very different thing from going, come on, babe, I'm 100% behind you, I'm on your team. You know, it's a different thing. Exactly. And I I had much the same uh, because I, I my core beliefs, I think, have changed 180 degrees. You know, I'm not the same person um, that I was when I signed up. For marriage, I. It's not that he was a bad guy who, um, didn't care. And the thing is, what I what astounds me is I didn't know, nor did he, that I had a half say in where we lived. So I didn't know that. Hmm. Isn't that an extraordinary thing not to know? But I I wanted to move to Melbourne and he said no. So I thought, oh, well, bad luck. He said no. Dad said no. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I completely. I I, 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 I don't know who that girl was. Yeah, I know. But as I said, I was party to I was on the same team as him, if you know what I mean. I do, yeah, absolutely. And and I think you convince yourself, um, oh, well, it's for the best, the, the whole family unit. And, and, well, and it is because the family is part of that unit, but actually that doesn't necessarily mean that, any, that your needs then are automatically popped down the bottom of the stack. Mm. Goodness. Um, can I ask you too, I'd lo- I, there was a phrase that you wrote in your book which was um, it's just perfect, which you said that comedy is a bipolar industry. 
Um, I, as someone, I, I have bipolar. That's my uh, my lovely diagnosis. But yeah. I, I, I always joke that comedy is, uh, yeah, I do. Um, but I always joke that comedy was the perfect occupation for me because it is such a, <laughs> you know, such an industry of extremes. I just wanted to hear more from you, um, yeah, on that and on your experience of life in a bipolar world, I guess. Well, I've only just been diagnosed this year with um, life lifelong undiagnosed ADHD and um which really made I wow I've I've had to overhaul nearly everything that I believed myself to be um and in an wow, I, tell me more about that like in well, what way I always thought I was um I knew I was different but I it was a deep, dark secret. I just thought I was dumb. and uh, But I knew I wasn't dumb, uh, but I I thought that I was stubborn and lazy and there was nothing I could do about that. So I'd overcompensate. I, I, like, yes, you've got this bad, you know, part of your character. I really thought it was a, a bad part of my character and I tried to make up for that deep, dark secret by being very affable with people, kind, um, you know, I was always, uh, yeah, being a good, nice person, you know, because I had to be because of this dark secret that I could, could, would not learn. And then, for instance, Jenny, when the book, came out and I remember this is before my diagnosis um I was burning with shame um during an interview because the bouquets of compliments were too big and I thought I thought oh if only she knew mm. that I I've written two books and I don't know the difference yeah I wouldn't know a, a pronoun from an adverb and and I don't know my times tables and but it to find out that it's not that I wouldn't, that I couldn't, has been one of the most liberating. Um, it's it's so weird that I've finished writing the book and post that I've experienced one of the most life-changing um, times of my life, without a doubt. This is what, and who would have thought at 57 you get a diagnosis that puts everything on its head, not in a bad way, but it was almost so good it was terrifying. It's like waking up and... Wow. It was just like waking up from a bad dream, really. Wow. And it wouldn't have well, happened. that's freaking phenomenal. Is that great? Well, I, I asked um, my friend Sue to manage me um, and at the time I said I need more than a manager. I need to get – we need to put my sobriety above all else. And uh, Sue took – you know, an alcoholic is, is a very – you know, I was a, still a very sick person even two years ago before I got sober. We are not well people and uh, – Sue is the first person I've come across who, for whatever reason, she saw parallels in me in a loved one of her own and she went to the trouble of taking care of me holistically 
and thank God she did because um, I was looking at getting, you know, I know that I have to have my frontal lobe checked uh, because I did get my brain a hiding with all the vodka. And, you know, that's the last thing someone like me would think to do. Um, and not only that, that she put me into a really cluey psychoanalyst and we had everything checked. Oh, I've got my, I've got my teeth top to toe. That's the first thing you do after you get sober is, you know, get, if you're going to, if we're going to live, let's make sure everything's in tip top order. And so it was an accidental diagnosis and, and mm. I didn't muck around. I, I got two more, um, what do you call it, when second opinions, and then was ad- admitted myself to a private clinic uh, in Adelaide and started treatment and medication for it. And it was literally like waking up from a bad dream. I had no idea, I, I had no idea on how, how unhappy I'd been. And yet I was okay with that unhappiness. That wow. was I was happy to... So I can't wait to write again, as you can imagine. There's so much more to tell. I bet. I know. I can't can't wait to read it. Um, I know you have to get going and I just want to say thank you so much and thank you for your unbelievable honesty and I just want to reiterate, I, I, I think it is such a gift. It is such a gift to the world and I'm sorry that you have to be on the receiving end of some shit from, you know, people and be losing um friendships and stuff but I just am so grateful that you've done this for the world and I'm sure there'll be people that will never even meet you and that you've changed their life I'm no doubt I've no doubt about that at all um would you be willing I just have like a rapid fire five questions to ask you yeah before we go um my first question Fiona O'Loughlin what would be the one person if you could meet them any anybody living or dead if you could meet up with them and have dinner, who would it be? Shirley MacLaine. Oh, interesting. Why? I like the way she thinks. I know she's mad as a cut snake, um, but, well, she can appear to be, but I've seen her interviewed and I only ever wanted to hear more of what she had to say. She, someone asked her oh, once. Wow. Someone asked her once, what's the most overrated sin? And she said fidelity. Infidelity. In a heartbeat. Wow. And I couldn't agree with her more. We're so, humanity and religion, we're so obsessed with what we all do with each other's genitals. I mean, who cares? Mm. Says me. She would be a very good... (laughs) Frigid Fiona. Um, question number two. I find it so absurd. Best. But my husband would. I, I was married to a guy who I was lucky enough to. I'm not lucky enough. It's what I expected. Um, no more capable of cheating on me than. Yeah, you know, I just had that innate trust, and I know it to be true. Um, and yet. I was just say if I walked in the door and found five women on top of Chris, I'd say, "Oh, we must have slipped, and they've helped him." You know, it just would never. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't important. Do you know, I don't understand how people lose their minds because someone 
you know, because of infidelity. I think that we hurt each other in so much more brutal ways. What is the best way to deal with passive aggression? Call it, call it, call it out. A lot of it, I'd say, I find passive aggression the worst nice. character tr- trait. It is my top hate. Um, and it's that game where I'm not going to tell you what's wrong. You're going to have to work it out. And I'm just going to be a tiny bit cool with you, not cool enough that anyone will notice, only you will notice. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's the one when people play that well on screen, it just cracks more than anything. Like oh, to have it, it perfectly portrayed. Too it good, is isn't it? So- Amazing. Uh, have you ever read the letters yeah. I drew on Instagram <laughs> between my sister and I? <gasps> no. Oh, you've got to look them up. It's called Dear Catherine, my dear sister. And you've got to go on my Insta to find – I write to her and I do it publicly so she doesn't get a heads up. I just put it up there and then she's got to return the serve. And she's so funny, Kate. But it, it's a masterclass of – Sisters being passive aggressive. Oh, you had some of these in your book, didn't you? Because this is like yes. ringing a bell. Yeah, but there's about I think so funny. There's six of them online. I should put them all together. Okay, and make a little coffee book out of them. Oh my god, you must! Do that you would be amazing. That wouldn't be I've hard, had, would it? Oh, hell's to the no, you'd have that in no time. Get some cute little um, cartoon illustrations or something. Yeah. <laughs> Make it a lovely little, yeah, coffee table treat. God, isn't that funny that that's our um, favourite well, thing is observing passive-aggressive behaviour? I love it. So, you know, I hate yes. it, but I love it. I know, because action. I think the thing is when because when it's happening to you in the moment, you you can question whether it's happening because it can be so incredibly subtle that you can't really remove yourself from it. But I think when you're seeing it reflected back, it's just oh, so absurd. Absolutely. Oh, I had a very passive-aggressive friend years ago. She said, <laughs> and she said to me, I was only in my 30s, and I said, well, you seem a bit cranky today, or what's the matter? And she said, oh, Andrew, just he left the house. It was like a pigsty, honestly. He's, I mean, I know it wouldn't worry you because you're like that yourself, but... <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> but it takes you a couple of minutes and then it's gone. Oh, I think she just called me a pig. <laughs> I think my sister had um, someone walked into her new place they'd just moved into. And this is a friend of ours who's like, just, I don't think she's deliberately passive aggressive. Oh, Who she knows? is. But she walks in and goes, oh. <laughs> she walks in and goes, oh, well, it's not really my taste, but I mean, I guess I'm used to nice places. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Oh, my God. You just got to laugh. I like, think half of Instagram is passive-aggressive. <laughs> no, seriously, you can see. Yeah, you're probably right, yeah. Sisters one-upping each other on Instagram. It's, it's hilarious. Or friends. So Not my sisters. Mm, mm-hmm. um, can I ask you, this might actually feed into this, what's the, uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? It's not advice. It was a saying of my grandmother's. It's like how it 
No, I'm going to change that. It's it wasn't given to me personally. I it's a Wayne Dyer quote. Well, actually, is from the Tao, which is a similar. It's not a religion, but it's a it's a philosophy uh, way of life, I guess. Philosophy is not right. Um, anyway, it was a Chinese peasant that um, showed us the way 400 years before Christ, and his teachings were that the most important moment of your life is this moment, and the most important person in your life is the person who happens to be in front of you right now. Oh, I love that! Isn't it great? Because we're having that, Jenny. Genuinely, this is the most important moment of my life, and you are in front of me. It's beautiful. That is really beautiful. That really is. Um, Can I ask you now then? What's the worst advice you've ever been given? Oh, an aunt of mine uh, sent me a message after I left my husband and begged me to change my mind and go back. Wow. Not only was it bad advice, it was, I think, a shocking thing to do. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah, you know, she's a good lady. I love her. But that was was a dangerous thing to say, particularly when I was still so codependent at the time. And, you know, it was a monstrous thing. I'm the first person in my family to leave a marriage. Was there a moment where you got the courage to call it? Or how did... How did no, you it, have the courage to do that? It, we, we, I couldn't have gone about it more. It, it was so protracted and and drawn out and messy. I just put it off, you know. I was, I, I was, I had promised. Unfortunately, I'd promised my children their whole lives. Well, one thing you don't have to worry about is divorce. I promise you right now, I'm not ever divorced. We don't get divorced. Mum and Dad never divorced. You know, what a thing to promise. I guess I promised him <laughs> that I'd... <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm really bad at promises, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all believe him at the time, don't we? Just can't keep my promises. Um, can, I, can I ask you one last thing? I, I, I normally ask the last rapid-fire question is what will be written on your tombstone, but to be honest, I'd very selfishly like to know, how did you... Hmm, was there like a mantra that you kept saying to yourself while you were writing this book to give you the guts to just be so freaking honest and not be worrying about anything other than the brutal honesty that you brought forth in it? Yeah, it was... Uh, I think I was saying to myself... Um, it wasn't really a mantra. Um, I was so supported by three women, uh, my editor, my manager, and my uh, ghostwriter, who wasn't so much a ghostwriter as... Um, she wasn't a ghostwriter in, in, in its usual form because, of course, I love writing and I write, but it, she kept... She and I together uh, found where the pieces you know it was a it was a I love writing but the reason my first book took me um eight years to write and this book took five months and it was because uh I guess my ADHD and that that inability to to uh, procrastination is is crippling with ADHD and she also 
she, her name's Ali Pascoe. And so there were four women and Ali, uh, the editor, Vanessa from Hashep. It was just that we all, as soon as they'd say, yes, yes, brilliant, you know, we're all ticking. I knew that they were women who wouldn't lie to me. Um, and that so long as, yeah, I, I, I didn't really, I shut the whole world out. I, I, I um, trusted, I fell into a, a real lovely, it was four of us, a trust, yeah. Of course, by the, t- the by the t- night before it was about to go on shelves, that's that's how I was be dancing in the pantsy. But it's done now. <laughs> oh, I've really got a wrap oh, up. I'm, I'm so, so sorry. You go. No, no, no. I love talking to you, darling. And thank you so much for making this time. And um, thank you for your beautiful book. And I can't wait for the next one. Thank you, Jenny, because you've got. I don't know. You pulled out something that I've not said to anyone. So. Oh, well, thank you. I feel very privileged. Yeah, I didn't know when I'd say it. I knew I'd say it when the time felt right and uh, just felt right then to, you know, out the naysayers. Well, it's amazing and I love that it's women who came around you as well to help you birth this, you know, incredible piece of art that's going to help people. So, you know, it is, it's finding your cheerleaders, isn't it, and sticking with them. Exactly. I could have said that in such less time if I had the word cheerleader in my head. That's what they were. (laughs) (laughs) You take care of yourself, my love, and I hope I get to see you sooner than later. You too, Jenny. Um, Thank you again. Really appreciate it. Uh, Bye, darling. Me too, darling. Lots and lots of love. Bye. Wow. I just feel so ridiculously privileged to have been part of that conversation with her and to have her open up like that and just be so real and honest. And I just find so much power comes from being willing to go there and just be real with people. I really want to, I want more of that. I want more of that, please. Oh, goodness me. Are you okay? I'm, I'm okay. I think I need to go and oh, I just want to like bury my head in some chocolate or something. I mean, that's what I do anyway, but I'm just saying right now I feel like I've earned it, you know. Oh. Thank you so much, Fiona. And thank you guys for listening and making this possible. Without you, it would just be me asking people to chat. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. I hope you have a beautiful day. I hope you have a beautiful week. And please put your life jackets back on the rack as you exit the podcast. so much for joining us on the Funny Mummies podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you join our group on Facebook, the Funny Mummies group. Also, we have funnymummies.com, which has upcoming gigs, shows, fun stuff. You can find me, Jenny Winter, which is W-Y-N-T-E-R. Why? Because I can. At JennyWinter.com. You can find me on Facebook at Jenny Winter Comedian, Instagram at Jen Winter. And your child could be the voice on this podcast. So if your child would like to say, with Jenny Winter, record that. 
as a voice memo, send it through to me. You can either send it via the Facebook group or via my website and they could be the voice on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope that you find some funny in your day. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Rapid fire questions. What do you think I do when I'm at work? Nothing. Shit. Come on. No, you, I know you want to answer the first thing that comes to your head, but answer like a serious question. Like, what do you think? Of, what do you think I do when I'm at work? Make jokes. Not well, well, That's good. That's accurate. Um, what do you think I do when I'm at home? Clean the house. Oh, that's so kind of you. You see evidence of that? The cat just shut my kitty litter. <laughs> Better wipe those paws. <laughs> See, I make jokes at home too. <laughs> yeah, you better. Better go make me some hot pockets, Bowie. Ew. <laughs>